0: and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information, and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. So before we launch into this week's episode, you might be interested to know about our event coming up face to face event inspiring prevention of eating disorders and body image issues in London September the 30th Camden London 2023 really hope you'll be able to make it at the moment it's just going to be a face-to-face event however if there is a lot of demand we might be doing it online as well so I have brought together many different professionals in the field who are passionate about the prevention of eating disorders and body image issues so we're going to have there um, obviously myself and um, Cath Cunahan psychotherapy mum on Instagram talking about the early years as foundation for good mental well-being We're going to have the binge eating therapist there, Sarah Dosange, talking about the hidden eating disorders. 85% of people not being underweight with an eating disorder. We've got Dr. Kaz Bomba with diagnosis, early intervention and support. You know, really being able to support medical professionals, teachers and more. George Mycock is going to be there of My Own Mind, talking about how eating disorder services can be improved for greater access for men and those with muscularity-orientated issues. We've got Victoria Kleinsman coming to talk about body image and radical self-love. We have Rose White talking about intuitive eating principles. The eating disorder nutritionist Anne Richardson talking all about, is sugar the enemy, healthy week in schools, reframing the whole way we help our children develop a healthy relationship with food. We have Jane Hartley talking about a developing a healthy relationship with exercise and movement and many more people so i really hope you'll be able to make it the link is in the show notes it's 149.99 which is an absolute bargain for all these different speakers in one day you get all your food and refreshments included and it's a face-to-face event it's going to be so amazing because it just feels like so long since we've been able to kind of properly like really get together in these kind of spaces so much of it has been on zoom and zoom is amazing it has been a credible thing for my business but I'm so looking forward to just getting everyone in one space and to really have that sort of collective energy and consciousness and inspiration and transformation to really think about how we can improve things for going forward for the future. So hope to see you there. Link is in the show notes. Now today I'm talking to Marcel Rose, founder of Marcel Rose Nutrition. Marcel specializes in helping women beat binge eating, bulimia, emotional eating and yo-yo dieting, they can make peace with their body and heal their relationship with food. And she acknowledges that for many women that this is a transformation experience so that they're able to reclaim their life. Marcel is a BANT registered nutritionist and health coach with specialist training in eating disorders and behavior change, being a master practitioner from the National Center for Eating Disorders, plus having undertaken further training in Socratic questioning for eating disorders and body image. In the episode today, we're going to explore Marcel's journey into this work and what inspired her to walk this road. She's then going to talk about how you can build a happy relationship with food, why it's so helpful to foster this, and what do we mean by it, exploring normal eating versus disordered eating. Marcel is going to talk about how you can reconnect with your appetite cues and how nutritional therapy can help if you're struggling with eating disorders or disordered eating. She's also going to discuss the role of diet culture, wellness, beauty and the fitness industry in all of this and how this can all impact on mindset, beliefs around food and dieting, body image and self-worth. So much packed into this conversation. Let's get to it. Hi, Marcel. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So can I firstly get you to introduce yourself to the listeners, please?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm Marcel Rose. I'm a nutritionist and coach specialising in emotional and disordered eating. Yeah, I help women overcome binge eating, bulimia, emotional eating, and sort of restrictive eating and dieting to help them basically make peace with their body and with heal their relationship with food. So Marcel, can I just ask you, like, how did you come to work in
0: this Field, have you got a like a story, a journey, or are you just fascinated yeah. by this subject
1: or <laughs> all, all, um, all of those? <laughs> yeah, all of those really. I started off, I mean, when I first started out many, many years ago, I was actually in the fashion industry. So a completely opposite kind of job. And I didn't really, wasn't really looking after myself very well. I had gut issues and I was exhausted and everything. But I sort of found my way to this via nutrition. But obviously, when I started, eventually retrained as a nutritionist and started working with people, it was mainly helping people with their gut, problems with digestion, digestive issues around that. And then I just noticed I was getting more and more people coming to me wanting to lose weight. And I really wasn't interested in working in that area at all. And I just felt there was something going on with a lot of people. That where you know they needed certain kind of specialist support, I'd already done sort of health coach training, so the coaching was helpful, but it wasn't enough, obviously, to work with these individuals that were really, really struggling, and there was a lot more going on than you know they were saying at the time. And you know obviously then I trained with the National Centre for Eating Disorders, and that really opened up a whole new world for me, and since then I've just done more and more. Sort of trainings and works on body image and all sorts of things, just because I'm absolutely fascinated by it. But also, I'm, you know, I just passionately believe that I really want to be able to help people, help all women. I specifically work with women mainly. But, you know, I feel like women believe that they, you know, a lot of women feel like they're not enough and they need to feel like they're enough, no matter what their body size, weight, or shape and treated equally in all areas of life and, you know, not feel trapped in this sort of diet culture, thinking that they're not going to be valued or loved or worthy unless they're striving to shrink their body. So even though I haven't come from really an eating disorder background, I would say that actually with the nutrition training, I could see now looking back that I could have gone down the sort of orthorexic route. I was becoming a little bit obsessive about it. So I feel like going into this world has really helped me to, you know, help me with my relationship with food as well.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're on a real passionate mission, which is very inspiring. And I just think it's so fantastic how you are already sort of talking about that connection between Body image and self worth, and how so many women don't value themselves, do they? Or feel as well Um, that the only way they can be valued is by shrinking themselves or changing how they look. And yeah, it's something that we almost absorb from birth, isn't it? I think, you know, a lot of people don't question it as a problem.
1: No, absolutely. And it's just, it's a massive issue. And it's a massive cultural issue that I think sometimes I feel it's so hard to be able to (laughs) break through. But if we all, you know, all of us who believe, passionately about this can just keep shouting about it we can try and make a dent in it somehow
0: yeah absolutely and I'm completely with you there because sometimes it feels so overwhelming doesn't it but Mm. then I am sometimes encouraged just by how much change has even come about in the last five years or so at (laughs) least in terms of awareness I think we're not there with actually enough available treatment are we and therapies etc you know we need more of that available but definitely there's the awareness now and I'm sure you're finding in your work that you know back in the day I think people just thought of eating disorders as the sort of stereotype of the thin white sort of anorexic female Mm -hmm. often but now so many people I think of all ages cultures Across all you know there's huge diversity isn't there in eating disorders yes. and I think thankfully so many people now are recognizing that they've had issues with food maybe for a very long time and now they're speaking out and they are starting to seek support so the tide is turning slowly isn't it
1: it definitely is but yeah you're so right there I feel there's still a lot of misconceptions around eating disorders it's beginning to change but yeah I mean just generally if I speak to people you know if people just generally interested about what I do and they ask me about it And many people still quite surprised that I'm working with people in all body sizes and, you know, all kind of backgrounds. And certainly I don't work so much with men, but obviously that it's becoming more well-known now, you know, that it is an issue with men and boys as well. So, but yeah, I hope that it's the tides turning. Yeah, I know, slowly, slowly but surely. So Marcel,
0: I think as well a lot of people listening may not have a full diagnosis of an eating disorder and I'm sure you know I think diagnosis really has its limitations because it you know limits us into a box doesn't it and if you don't fit neatly Mm -hmm. into that box sometimes you don't feel validated or that you are properly ill so to speak or just you don't even recognize you have an issue but I think there's so many people in our culture that are struggling with Disordered eating and don't have a healthy relationship with food. So, I wondered if you could you sort of shed a bit of light a bit more on this topic and explain perhaps the difference between, you know, what is disordered eating and then also to think about actually what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with food? So, I think we've lost track Mm -hmm. with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I think people are sometimes surprised, as you say, they might not have a very happy relationship with food, you know it really is a spectrum. So you've got on one end of the spectrum, people, you know, who have been diagnosed with a clinical eating disorder, they have to meet very specific criteria to get that diagnosis. You could say at the other end of the spectrum, you've got normal eaters. I say in inverted commas, but there's a very long, you know, a big area of disordered eating that comes in the middle of that, that sits in the middle of that, where Perhaps there is the thoughts around food, thinking around the shame and the sort of guilt around eating certain food, sort of varying degrees of obsessiveness. Perhaps people, for example, might have binge eating episodes, but might not meet that diagnostic criteria for binge eating disorder, for example. But that doesn't mean that the distress still isn't there. They're still binge eating. I mean, a lot of people phone me up you know, when they first sort of inquire about working with me and they call themselves emotional eaters, but they might be binge eating or, you know, they might be struggling in a number of different ways. And certainly their relationship with their body, you know, body image is problematic as well. So it's all sorts of different things that come up with disordered eaters. They can be very much vary along that spectrum, I think, you know, where you've got that people who can quite easily end up slipping into eating disorder territory but in terms of having a healthy relationship with food what is that so i think that's really about being able to eat without that shame and guilt so be able to enjoy a christmas dinner or a meal out with you know with their family without worrying about the calories without which is very difficult these days, of course, with calories on the menu, without thinking about the food, feeling bad about what they've eaten, thinking, well, I should perhaps, you know, not eat later, because I've had such a huge lunch and skip a meal, or I should go to the gym and exercise more. You know, it's really about just enjoying getting pleasure from their food and having quite a balanced approach to eating, really, without, You know, I think some people say, oh, well, it's eating till you're full and only starting to eat when you're hungry. I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that, because there are times when we just for sheer pleasure, when we are, we want to eat it because it's pleasurable food, when we're eating out with friends or eating a meal, and we've got food in the middle of the table, and we're enjoying it. And I think that there is a sort of nuance difference between when it becomes disordered and when we're just actually being able to eat for pleasure and that's okay but being able to move on from that.
0: Mm. Yeah so it sounds like having a sort of healthy or peaceful relationship with food it's a lot about freedom isn't it and being able to yeah. like not having to overthink things being able to sort of go with the flow and enjoy food and i guess be social and go out with friends and Whereas disordered eating, there's this real preoccupation, isn't there? And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're talking about maybe a lot of behaviours or things that people are doing to try and control their food intake, try and control their body image. And I guess that's then really interfering with just kind of getting on with life, isn't it? Because you're not free at all, are you, when you've got that Mm -hmm. preoccupation?
1: Yeah, it's 24-7, isn't it? I think, you will I'm sure your clients say the same. It's just that it's relentless, the thoughts, the thinking around food. And, you know, there's plenty of people who don't have diagnosed eating disorders that are, you know, that are still having these thoughts around food and feeling bad. Yeah, it's just a constant, it's taking up their brain space. And then there's no room for anything else that, you know, that's important to them in life, really. It's just pushing everything else out. Yeah,
0: I think the really sad thing as well is almost disordered eating has become quite normalized, hasn't it? I think, you know, chatting, at I mean, the chats at the water cooler happen anymore after COVID. But I'm just thinking, it's a very common conversation thing, isn't it? If people are going out to dinner or meeting up, people are talking about the diet they're on or the latest plan or that they're trying to change their body or it's very sort of normalized, isn't it? I think a lot of people don't even question that that's a problem.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, they're seeing it everywhere as well. If you're following celebrity or influencers, what they're eating every day and what's on their plate, you know, it just become it does become normalized, isn't it? I think. And I think that's is where it's so problematic is that it can be so triggering for people to hear diet talk, to have comments on food, about weights and about even their body, not necessarily when they're commenting on the person's body themselves, but when people just talk about constantly talking about it, it's really quite unhelpful, but they obviously don't realise the harm that it can do, unfortunately. Oh, no, very, very true. So when people come to you, where's your sort of starting
0: point for helping them to, you know, change their relationship with food? And how can nutritional therapy be really beneficial for someone?
1: Yeah. So I think I generally just start to help them to feel like they're basically just starting to feel like they're getting in regular meals, is the first thing that I would start with. And some people, they're quite sort of horrified at the beginning that we are adding in food. And I'm so, you know, this is for sort of specifically for kind of people with binge eating, you know, disorder or bulimia or. Who would describe themselves as emotional eaters often they are skipping meals often they're doing fasting and certainly skipping breakfast And they're but i'm not hungry till the later on in the day they'd say so to put in those that meal regularity it feels probably feels a little bit scary at first but it's something that's so important to help stabilize their blood sugar so we just get the breakfast in get the lunch in and dinner and snacks And ensure that they are kind of feeling more stable around that. And then just gradually, it's all about adding in. So rather than what they've been used to is stripping out, we're adding in foods. We're helping them to feel because once we get, you know, a diversity of nutrients in for their brain, whether it be things like protein or getting their fats in, which are really going to help them, and or general micronutrients, which are the, you know, the minerals and vitamins, they can all help with other things. So we start to see that they feel better in themselves in other ways, through energy, less cravings, we start to see them reduce the sort of, well, stabilize their mood as well, because we need these raw materials to help make those really important brain chemicals that can really help with mood and help reduce the sort of cravings and things as well. So I think it start really, really slowly and carefully. It's very much working at my client's pace, and sort of handholding in a way that helps them support them feel like they can do this. So it's one step at a time, small steps, bringing things into the diet. And then we really start to try and break down those kind of food rules as well. And start to introduce, you know, new foods slowly and surely. And there's often a lot of fear around certain foods. So, yeah, there's lots of things that also doing other things as well. But the nutrition side can be really helpful. But, of course, it's I think I do believe it's really important that someone works with somebody who nutritionists who do have that eating disorder training because otherwise it can be, you know, it's quite specific that kind of nutrition support that they
0: need. Are you tired of being tired and fighting with your body while the emotional eating or binging continues? You are not alone. Emotional eating is not your fault and is complex. Are you ready to gain massive insight into your emotional binge triggers and to understand the roots of why you're in self-sabotage with food and your body? If so, you will definitely want to check out emotional eating, digestive and hormone expert Amber Romaniac's The No Sugar Coating Podcast, with over 400 episodes, diving deep into emotional eating and binge triggers, female hormone and gut imbalances, weight blocks cravings and the physical, emotional and energetic connections. After overcoming her own food addiction, binge eating and emotional eating behaviours fully, And now coaching over 1,600 women in the last 10 years, she provides a deep level of knowledge to help assist you forward on your journey to food and body freedom and beyond. This podcast will help you build a newfound level of awareness that you may have never had before. And there's no diets, no quick fixes, and no band-aid approaches here. This podcast is about building self-love, acceptance, and becoming in tune with your relationship with food, thoughts, symptoms will help you start to take back your power visit amberapproved.ca forward slash podcast so that's amberapproved.ca forward slash podcast the link will be in the show notes to start listening and take the next life-changing step on your journey you're not alone you've got this and you can break free You can also check out a wide variety of resources a free emotional eating quiz one-to-one coaching support and more about body freedom at amberapproved.ca yeah and it sounds really really helpful and if someone is obviously starting to stabilize their blood sugar you know they're seeing those improvements in mood just hopefully kind of feeling better physically does that help them then as well connect reconnect with sort of their appetite cues, their
1: hunger, you know, just feeling more connected to their body again? Absolutely. So it's very much the work we do is tied into that appetite sort of retraining. So they're reconnecting with that. That is so important. But then I would always say, because I know some people do say, but what about intuitive eating? But I feel like, yes, it's wonderful, intuitive eating, but it's very difficult to go from where they are. Into that, I think it's really important to keep that meal regularity going because it can take some time before those appetite cues sort of really come back and they can connect with them. And for some people, it's really quite hard, particularly if there's neurodiversity as well, that makes it even hard, you know, can be even more difficult. So it's really important to work on that and work on reconnecting with all of sort of different body signals and really having that understanding of what the signals are meaning to them rather than feeling scared of say a craving or a hunger I think it's really useful work yeah no, know it sounds it
0: and I guess what I'm very struck by at the moment is on a lot of the very popular mainstream podcasts in the UK and the US you know which focus not just on health but you know I guess often on kind of like broader topics but health I guess is just always such a hot topic isn't it And, you know, these experts come in who have done like a load of research, it's often quite a few years ahead, maybe of where the normal population are. And I just think, you know, so many people that I work with, with eating disorders have absorbed a lot of these kind of messages around kind of like a lot of nuance around nutrition, really. And maybe Mm -hmm. they've cut out Gluten and dairy, or they're trying to go like really, really high protein, or they're now sort of managing their blood sugar in micro kind of you know, mm-hmm. on a micro level. I'm just wondering, like, you know, how do you support clients to deal with all of that? Because I think it's really tricky, isn't it? Because of obviously, there is this body of research out there for some people. These nutritional kind of nuances are really relevant Mm. and helpful. But for a lot of people, actually, you can like listen to a podcast, can't you take it a bit out of context, go down a rabbit hole, and end up in a not very healthy place. So yeah, well what are your thoughts on all of that?
1: Oh yeah, no, it's a really great point. Yeah, it's very easy to become obsessive around things. Obviously, that you know, the latest thing is the sort of blood sugar monitors and things like that. And I do worry that yeah it can be completely taken out of context. So I think, and with my clients, I just try and give them that kind of food wisdom, so you know, so that they're not sort of help them break down all these sort of diet misconceptions and things, and just try and talk to them around a really balanced approach, really. so with instead of micro focusing, as you say, it's really about bringing in the balance and the bigger picture, because we know that, you know, the more variety in our diet, for example, that we have, if we think about just bringing things in rather than stripping out and worrying about things and just bringing in, just thinking about variety, then we're going to be supporting our gut microbiome, which at the end of the day can also play a role in this and in eating behaviour and Everything else and how you're feeling in your body, so that's always a really you know good thing to helpful thing to do, but it's breaking down all these is these different misconceptions that come up, and one by one, I think that's the only thing we can do is there anything you particularly find that helps with your clients with this dealing with this?
0: Yeah, and well, I think it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean I suppose I draw a bit on my own personal experience but yeah you know I am one person <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know I guess a lot of the principles like say for example balancing one's blood sugar not in an mm. obsessive way when you're measuring it but you know following some of those principles doing regular eating all the things you're talking about really having that mm. sort of scaffolding around your eating you know maybe you are including some protein at your main meals to make you feel sort of satiated but it's about I suppose the difference is isn't it it's about being able to be in that kind of health mentally healthy zone with it all as well where you have freedom where you can sort of integrate these principles in but you're still living your life whereas it's not yeah it's not becoming this obsession where you're like having to like weigh things out and have an anxiety attack over the fact that your blood sugar maybe have gone a bit higher or I don't know I suppose yeah it's a bit of a woolly answer isn't it but I think it's trying to sort of stay in that place isn't it there's a fine line I suppose between Really optimizing mental and physical health and obsession,
1: isn't there? Absolutely. Because as we know, that, you know, obsessional sort of behavior is not going to be good for our health as well. So, you know, that has a knock on effect with obviously our mental health, but it also can affect things like our, you know, our gut. You know, we're going to end up with gut problems, which a lot of my clients, I'm sure you find majority of my clients have digestive problems because they're so stressed about worrying about what they're putting in their mouth that that's creating more problems digestively than anything else, especially, you know, those that are more kind of prone to sort of orthorexic type thinking. So definitely not helpful. So it's around trying to also just trying to be relaxed, bring that calmness, have some strategies for calming yourself down if you are anxious around what you're eating, as well. So yeah, it's just it is one step at a time and working on breaking down these old sort of beliefs about food, really that are keeping them stuck.
0: And how do you support your clients with sort of the body image side of things? I guess, again, there's so much pressure, isn't there, sort of thin idealisation, a lot of clients have maybe experienced weight stigma a lot of judgment around their bodies. And what kind of things do you do to support your clients to feel sort of better in their bodies and more peaceful?
1: So, yeah, I think one of the things is just helping them to notice when things come up for them. So noticing when the thoughts are around their body are coming up and they tend to work on a journal, which we can understand their eating patterns and things like that but also around the appetite. It's like a tool to help with, you know, relearning their appetite. But also if any kind of sort of body image thoughts are coming up, understanding firstly what might have triggered that. Is it because they've eaten what they would consider a forbidden food? And noticing that that might have triggered them and then noticing the thoughts that have come from that. What kind of thinking has come from that? You know, there's a number of different types of thinking that would come up. Are they calling themselves not very nice names as a trigger? And it's sort of helping to teach them to notice when they are talking to themselves in that way and notice without judgment. It's about curiosity. That's like, oh, I'm noticing that I've been triggered by eating this forbidden food and that perhaps I am not talking to myself very kindly right now. And what else can they say to themselves? That would be more helpful in this situation and what can they do to help calm themselves down but it's about really I think it's just so much work to do around helping people with their self-esteem because it's so connected with body image and if you can really strengthen that self-esteem it can make such a difference to their opinions about themselves not mattering so much and I think that's what's important that I think we all have opinions about our bodies but that's quite normal but it's about how much it matters to us and how much it impacts our life in so many ways Mm -hmm. and our behaviors as well.
0: I think it's such a great point there about really focusing in more on the self-esteem because of I think, yeah, we can sort of focus on specific body image improvement techniques or whatever, can't we? But I think like what you're saying in a way that we all have things about our bodies that we are a bit dissatisfied with, but it's how much importance you place on that, isn't it? And if you're really delving deeper on the self-worth and starting to really build that, actually body image just becomes less important, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I find, I think, once and also helping my clients really focus on the other things, what makes them feel good in themselves in their body, you know, when they're working through things. So we'll take the focus completely away from, even though they obviously, they pretty much come with a kind of a real anxiety around their weight. We try to move that away, you know, and it takes time to move that focus away from that. And so people start to really kind of Tune into what really feels good in their body right now. And if it's, you know, any kind of movement that they're really enjoying and getting pleasure from, or if they're, you know, they're really enjoying their food and their meals, and that makes their body feel good as well. So it's sort of tuning into all different things that they can have that focus on rather than on their weight. And it tends to help as well. But definitely the self worth is so key. Yeah. So that real sort of reconnection with the body, because I
0: guess so many of our clients are really in sort of fight flight, aren't they all striving Mm -hmm. and do find it incredibly challenging to slow down, to self soothe, to really connect with the body and to know what they like and dislike.
1: Mm, absolutely, yeah. A lot of it is just having that awareness that they've never had before. I think that can make such a huge difference. If you can get that awareness of what's going on, slow down, pause, take some breaths, and start to really practice that, that noticing and slowing down and pausing. If you can practice that enough times, it can become more of an automatic response rather than going straight into your automatic kind of stress response which isn't going to be helpful at that point.
0: Mm, Yeah, very true. And in terms of the self esteem sort of side of things, like how would you really support your clients to begin to build better self esteem and self worth?
1: Yeah, so I think that work around, you know, appreciating how they feel in their bodies really good, really helpful, but also just helping them to think about what they appreciate about themselves and value about themselves, do a lot of that sort of That value work just to remind them and just working on different ways that they can feel like they're worthy of doing something nice for themselves. So, you know, they can come up with ideas of what they can do that would be a nice thing to do for themselves. And it can be anything. It's so different for each client what they come up with. And I think it's really important that, you know, that they come up with something that feels good. So they come up with a few things that they would like to do and then. For them to sort of we work on encouraging them to bring that up, to do something that makes them feel good so that they feel like, yes, I'm worthy of doing something nice to myself. Because very often they just don't feel that they're worthy of anything, doing anything for themselves. That can really just help them to build that self-worth in that way.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, so many of us have been raised, I think, haven't we, as well, by mothers particularly who you know, didn't even have sort of self-care, self-soothing in the vocabulary (laughs) that they, you Mm. know, just very sort of conditioned to be like looking after everyone else. And it can feel a very unfamiliar concept, can't it, to feel that you have permission to self-care and be deserving of good things. And Mm. that can be quite a
1: block, can't it, for some of our clients? Yeah, absolutely. They just don't feel, you know... Many of our clients just don't feel like they deserve to do anything nice for themselves at all. And yeah, and I think it comes from years of thinking in that way. And then, yeah, as mothers, I think we're very used to as women, particularly as women and as mothers or whether we're not parents, we're sort of used to not putting ourselves first, whether we're looking after sort of elderly parents or children or, you know, doing our best at work and this and that. You know, we're often at the end of the list anyway, I think. So for someone who has very sort of low self-esteem, they can often feel like, well, it's not important to do that for me. You know, I need to do other things. Other things are more important. So it's about also carving out that time for yourself to do those things because often it's like, well, I'm too busy. I've got to do this, that and the other. But it's really important, I think, that we do. We all carve out some time for ourselves. Some people feel like they're being selfish, don't they, I think, when they're doing that, making that time. Yeah, very true. So it's kind of we're giving people
0: permission, aren't we, to take yeah. that time for themselves. And yeah, I think it's good that like, for people that have got children as well. If you are taking care of yourself, you're really role modelling for them, actually. Mm. You know, and that's a great lesson, isn't it? yeah teach the next generation as well that actually you know you are deserving you do have permission to look after yourself
1: yeah it's so important isn't it harriet i mean i think as parents to model that behavior to look after yourself and modeling you know your language around food about dieting about weight you know to avoid that sort of those sort of conversations is probably one of the most important things we can do for our children Yeah. And it's so tricky, isn't it? I think being a
0: parent, Mm -hmm. I just know myself sometimes trying to navigate that line between trying to, yeah, health and healthy relationship with food and self-worth and I think I just thought with my own children as well, because of the job I do, they'll be so protected, but far from it, really, being brought up in dire culture and yes, all
1: yeah. the teenage
0: influences. It's been hugely challenging. Yeah. They don't want to listen to... I was thinking, you know, it's worth doing the work as much as you can, isn't it, early on, because once they get to their teenage years, they're going to listen yes. to their peers, not to you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. But, you know, I think still it's <laughs> as much as you can do. That's why I feel like... You know, very often if I'm seeing slightly, I tend to see over 18s, but I do work with a few slightly younger ones and clients. And if really I feel it's almost really important for the parents to have that kind of do that work as well, because it's so often that, you know, unbeknownst to them, the issue is kind of coming from that. And, you know, obviously it's coming from a place of care and love where parents are trying to do the best they can for their kids' health. But, you know, it's very difficult. As you say, it's a fine line. So, you know, I just believe that it would be great to be able to do some work, you know, some more work with parents someday down the line. That's what I'd like to be able to do as well to really help support them in supporting their kids with this
0: yeah and it sounds really valuable because I think
1: it's Mm -hmm. I think my next question was to
0: you was to think a bit about actually if you had a magic wand and you could wave it like what would you really do to sort of impact diet culture but I'm wondering for you sort of like put words in your mouth but I'm just thinking like that sort of educating parents supporting parents you know it's about ground root stuff isn't it often
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's definitely what I would do. I mean, that's my kind of vision for the future. Some kind of social enterprise or charity or something, because I do feel like there is that sort of gap. You know, obviously, there's not enough support for people who actually have eating disorders. But often, there's this gap where there's so many people as well, who need support earlier on, but are not deemed ill enough to get support often, and certainly, you know, sort of within the NHS. And, you know, if we could put in something that's preventative, or, you know, helps at the early stages, or helps, as you say, even earlier than that, so that, you know, we can really start to make a difference from the early stages, and don't allow people to get so ill that they really need that support for eating disorders. Yeah, hear, here.
0: I'm absolutely with you on the prevention side of things. I think, yeah, it's the way to go, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, yeah. But I guess, you know, the more we're kind of speaking about these issues and, you know, the tide is turning, isn't it? And I think people are, are gaining much more awareness. And I think, you know, there are many parents out there these days who are doing a really great job and have really absolutely. thought about the language yeah, they're using around food and, you know, are really protecting yeah. their children a lot more
1: yeah absolutely yeah no definitely I know I know all parents just trying their best really so it's really hard as I say I've got kids and I know there's things that I haven't done or said in the right way in the past I'm still learning to sort of navigate that so it's not easy at all but hopefully yeah we just have to keep working on it So Marcel, where can people find you if they
0: want to get in touch with you or go to your website, social media, etc?
1: Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Marcel Rose Nutrition. And I'm also on Facebook, Marcel Rose Nutrition. I've got a Facebook group called the Food Freedom Collective, which is to support women with their relationship with food and their body as well. So that's free to come along and, you know, get that support. And I also do have a, a download to help tackle diet culture any way we can, which is called What the Diet Industry Doesn't Want You to Know. So it's sort of breaking down some of those dieting myths. I think it's so important to get that out there because diet culture sort of messaging is so strong. So anything we can do to sort of help break that down. Yeah, um, brilliant. But well, make sure, yeah. Marcel,
0: that all of that info is in the show notes. So thank you for that.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It's been really great chatting to you. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Marcel. Really appreciate you sharing your thoughts. And yeah, thanks so much for the conversation.
0: It's a pleasure. Take care. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Marcel's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the Eating Disorder Therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. You might also be interested in my bite-sized therapy, which is additional podcast and video content for only £5 a month. You can trial it for a week for free first if you want to test it out, and the link is in the show notes. If you enjoy this podcast I'd be so grateful if you'd follow rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.